Welcome to the UTSC Drama Society Summer Reading Series. On this episode, we'll be hearing an excerpt from Schoolhouse by Leanna Brody. Miss Linton, now in her 30s, is recounting to us the story of how she taught in a one-room schoolhouse in rural Ontario. As she reflects on the students she met along the way, Ewart Brokosh is one particular student who had been transferred from a nearby training school, a type of juvenile detention center, to work and study after he was released. This is Schoolhouse. Scene 3 March 1938. Flossie and Beryl are at the front of the class. Miss Linton pulls down a map of North America and indicates the Great Lakes with her pointer. As the rest of the children are immersed in their own activities, the girls try to best each other in a fast-paced drill. The Great Lakes from west to east? Uh, Sue. Susan Mitchell has eight oranges. Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, Ontario. The Great Lakes in order of size? Uh, Sam. Sam's horse must eat oats. Superior, Huron, Michigan, Erie, Ontario. Oceans of the world. I am a person. Indian, Arctic, Atlantic, Pacific. Very good, Beryl. Flossie, you must brush up on your geography if you want to get into high school. Right now, though, is your history lesson. Quick, Royal Houses of England. No plan like yours to study history wisely. Norman, Plantagenet, Lancaster, York, Tudor, Stuart, Hanover, Windsor. Good girl. Junior fourth, please use your book to answer these questions on the reign of Queen Victoria. Senior third, please solve the sums on the board. Effa and Milton, time for your reading. Effa, will you please begin with the poem on page 15? Haltingly, as Beryl feeds her the words. Three, three little, little kit, 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 kittens lost the, 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 their mittens. By now, Effa is simply reading Beryl's lips. And, and they begin to, to cry. Very good, Effa. Now, Beryl, it's wonderful that you taught your sister to read all by yourself, but it's her job to read now and my job to help her. I still find it hard to believe that in all that time at school, you never got one lesson from your teacher. It's the truth, Miss Linton. Effa's always been too little to count for much. The last one said teachers aren't judged by the progress of the little ones. They're judged by how the seniors do in their entrance exams. How's good the Christmas concert? Russell? Pointing to the stove. Wood. Russell goes out. Effa, you've made really big strides in the last three months. We'll have a look at this poem together and I'm confident you'll have it mastered by the end of the week. Milton, where did we get to last time with the Golden Touch? You were wiser than you were, King Midas. You appear to be still capable of understanding that the commonest things, such as lie within everybody's grasp, are more valuable than the riches which so many mortals sigh and struggle after. Milton, that is lovely. Quite lovely. But you're missing one significant part of your reading lesson. Reading. It is generally aided by looking at the page. Oh, yes, teacher, sorry. And so on and so forth, till before you knew it, my three ring, four ring, six ring circus had muddled through to Easter. Scene four, Jericho School, just after Easter, 1938. Matthew chapter 28. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. 
Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And that's when Mr. Yellowlees decided Vern was old enough to come to school. An unholy sound, a sort of an aria of protest, begins at a great distance and builds relentlessly as it gets closer and closer. Just at its unendurable crescendo, Mr. Yellowless appears on the doorstep of the classroom, carrying his screaming, squirming son, Vern. The moment Vern pauses for breath, Mr. Yellowless holds him out to Miss Linton by the scruff of the neck. He's yours now. Then he deposits Vern like a bucket of slops, turns on his heel and is gone. Miss Linton blinks at the tantrum-riddled Vern for a moment and looks around the classroom for inspiration. Finding it, she goes over to the desk, fetches a medicinal-looking bottle, lifts Vern firmly upright, pinches his nostrils closed so that his mouth pops open, and pours a liberal quantity directly into his mouth. He shuts up immediately, aside from a bit of spluttering. You must be Vern. Good morning, Vern. I am Miss Linton, and that was cod liver oil. If you do your lessons like a Christian, you will have one spoonful of it once a day. If you fuss and fight like a savage, you will have dollops of it morning, noon, and night for the rest of your miserable little life. Do we understand each other? Vern nods wide-eyed. Good boy. And that was pretty much that. You see, the children in a country school were kind of like the actors in a Christmas play. There were only so many roles to be had, and you were a Mary, or a Joseph, or a wise man, or a sheep. By this time, I thought I could handle them all. The trustees thought so too, and by Arbor Day, they'd already engaged me for another year. Then in September, just as the school was about to begin, they told me I'd be getting a new pupil, a transfer, from the Battenville Training School for Boys. Scene five, Jericho School, September 1938. First day of school. The children are huddled together. The bell is ringing. A training school boy? Training school boy. Eward Rokosh. Rokosh? What kind of a name is that? What did he get sent away for? Probably killed his parents. My dad said... Russell, why are the Scouches taking him in? Because the Scouches are good Christian people, Vern. Besides, their mule died. Mother says the training school boy killed his teacher. That was years ago, way over in Cork County. Happens all the time. I heard about this one boy when the family was sleeping. Vern starts whimpering. <laughs> Aw, Vern, don't you worry about some old Battenville boy. If he tries anything, me and Dwight will... My cousin says last year they tried him at Bonner School, but he beat the tar out of Wendell Sharp. Wendell Sharp's the meanest kid in Cadillac County. He weighs 800 pounds. The bell stops ringing. Miss Linton appears. All right, class, it's time to start our lessons. Has anyone seen our new boy? Snake! In a trice, Edward appears right in front of Miss Linton, or rather towering over her like an overall harbinger of doom, holding a large and wriggly snake. Children scramble away, the little ones shrieking in fear. Miss Linton, however, holds her ground. There is a slight pause. Miss Linton, be... valiantly struggling to appear calm. You must be Ewart. Well, Ewart, aren't you a brave boy to have found this snake and taken it out of the playground for us? Now you just carry it back and throw it across the creek so we won't need to worry about it any longer. To the rest of the class. Would everyone please say thank you to Ewart for being such a responsible, helpful boy and getting rid of this snake for us all? 
the children reluctantly. Thank, Thank you. you. Well done, class. And on your way, Ewart, you might as well take the bucket of water with you and get our water for the day. Class, will you please thank Ewart for fetching our water like a good, considerate boy? The children, same business. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right then. Run along now, Ewart. And when you come back, we'll all have a special lesson on herpetology, the study of snakes. Ewart takes a snake and goes to leave with it. Then swivels back, grabs the water bucket from the classroom and heads off. Miss Linton to the audience. My first test in the study of Ewart, and I seem to have passed. For the second test, I only had to wait until recess. Scene six, the schoolyard, the same day at recess. On one side of the stage, Russell, Flossie and White are tossing a ball with Vern as a monkey in the middle. On the other, Beryl and Effa are playing jump rope with Milton as Everender. I'm a little, I'm a little Dutch girl dressed in blue. Here are the things that I like to do. Salute, Salute to the captain, bow to the queen. Touch the bottom of the submarine. I can do the tap dance. I can do the splits. I can do the hokey pokey. Meanwhile, Ewart comes in, holding a book under his arm. Russell comes and stands directly in his way. They do a little hesitation dance. Everyone else stops what they're doing to watch. Russell halts. We don't want you here, Battenville boy. Gilbert. Polak. So why don't you take your big, ugly face and go back to jail? Yeah, because your mother doesn't want you. No, because his mother's in jail too. So go see your mother, you big, ugly ape. Ewart puts the book into his pocket and takes a defensive stance. He waits. Suddenly, Effa rockets off towards the classroom. With a war cry, Russell launches himself at Ewart. Ewart neatly trips Russell so that he goes flying into the dust hard enough to knock the wind out of him. Dwight and Flossie, seeing that Russell is down for the count, go for Ewart. He puts them down too, effortlessly and bloodlessly. Miss Linton's whistle is heard. Everyone except Ewart scrambles into a line and Effa comes back on, followed by Miss Linton. What happened here? Have you been fighting? I want the truth. Yes, miss, the truth. I was coming back from a walk to the creek. These kids were playing ball. The girls were doing jump rope. I, I stopped for a rest. We had a little talk. I'm not a girl. Hush, Milton. And is that what really happened? Yes, teacher. That's what happened, all right. Cross my heart, hope to die. No fighting, that's for sure. Well, Ewart, I'm glad you remember that it is your Christian duty to show patience and forbearance with those who are not as big and strong as you are. And speaking of our Christian duty, I'm also glad that everyone is making Ewart feel welcome on his first day in a new school. Now, I believe recess is over. As they file past her into the school? I think I have our Bible reading picked out for tomorrow. Hebrews 13.2 be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Scene 7, Jericho School, September 1938. Junior 4th, come to the front, please. Russell and Ewart shuffle forward. A couple of weeks later, it was time to take up Russell and Ewart's recitations. Russell, of course, chose the kind of piece that had been beloved of schoolboys for a thousand years. Canon to right of them. Cannon to left of them, cannon 
in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at the, stormed at with, um, ease lust. Russell, I'm sure Tennyson himself would applaud your patriotic spirit and excellent phrasing. However, just like the light brigade itself, you need to make it to the end of the charge. Please look over the poem and we'll try again. Yes, teacher. Now, Ewart? Ewart shifts uncomfortably. Ewart, did you not prepare a recitation? Yes, miss. I was wondering, miss, do I have to say it out loud? Well, Ewart, that is generally the point of a recitation. The class laughs. Quiet, everyone. Go ahead, Ewart, please. After another pause, he begins. What if I say I shall not wait? What if I burst the fleshy gate and pass escape to thee? He hesitates. Well, that's some fleshy gate he's got there. If he bursts that, it'll be one heck of a mess. The class laughs. Class, that's enough. Go on, Ewart. Ewart, uncomfortably. Please, miss, I'd rather not. But I'd rather you did. I would really like to hear the rest of that poem. Ewart, after a moment. What if I say I shall not wait? What if I burst the fleshy gate and pass escape to thee? What if I file this mortal off, see where it hurt me, that's enough, and wade in liberty? They cannot take me anymore. They cannot take me anymore. I'm sorry, miss. I. I, I can't. You were, that was, that was very good as far as it went. But you two must be prepared to do the whole poem next time. Yes, miss. Miss Linton to the audience. All that day I was haunted by Ewart's recitation. And the day came to an end. Class Sorry. dismissed. <laughs> the class heads out to the cloakroom. Ewart. Ewart turns back. That poem, it's not from your reader. It's not in our little bookshelf. What is it? By Emily Dickinson. It was in this book from, from, from Battenville School. He fishes a small bound volume from his pocket. I still read it a lot. Huh. You were, what do you think the poem is about? It's about hurting, I guess, being so lonely and you could... He trails off. Yes. Is that it, miss? They'll be wanting me for the chores. Of course. No, you were, you go on home. You at leaves. Wherever that may be. Scene eight, the schoolyard. The children are playing anti-eye over around the woodshed or outhouse. One team consists of Russell, Flossie, Milton, and Vern. Anti-eye over! She throws the ball over the roof. Seconds later, the opposing team, Beryl, Effa, and Dwight, springs a classic anti-eye over attack, hurling around both sides of the building at once and screaming like banshees all the while. Beryl, who is it, 
manages to tag Milton before the others disappear to the other side of the building. As she's about to throw the ball over the roof, Beryl stops herself and hands it to Milton. Go on, Milton, you throw it. Need some help? Milton looking off into the distance. Where's Ewart? Russell, offstage voice. Hey, get the lean out over there. Come on, Milton, they're waiting. Everyone's mean to him. Nobody's mean to Ewart, Milton. We just leave him alone. Russell, offstage voice. What's going on over there? You didn't give the ball to Milton, did you? Come on, Milton. MTI over. He throws the ball over the roof seconds later. Russell, Flossie, and Vern appear, but they're doing the casual who's got that ball variation of an anti-Iover strategy until Russell springs the attack and snags Milton, Beryl, Dwight, and Effa. Meanwhile, peel back around the building to safety. Ah, he got Milton again. Anti-Iover. He whips the ball over the roof and there's the sound of breaking glass. Flossie, Vern, and Russell run off in the direction of the noise. After a moment, Russell runs back on stage and the other children come and crowd around him. Boy, you're in for it now. Milton reappears and goes tearing off toward the school. Russell, that man's gonna be mad you broke his truck. We should go hide. Ah, uh, I'm not scared. You go hide. Me and Dwight will... Who threw that ball? The children look at each other. Don't worry, Russell. We'll stand by you. We'll... It was Russell Yellow Lees. Shut up, simp. Come here, Russell. Nobody moves. All right, I'm coming there. I have something for you. Clinton Cochran enters from upstage. He's an impressive-looking figure in his 20s with great charm and a certain natural authority, dressed in rubber boots and overalls and carrying a dirty old ball. Now, which one of you little hooligans is Rust? He looks sternly at all the children in turn. Effa manages to convey Russell's whereabouts to Clinton without getting caught. I believe this is yours. I, I... Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, I, I mean, yes. Yes what? Oh, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is correct. Now, do you hooligans have a teacher? Miss Linton enters rapidly with Milton in tow. What seems to be the problem, sir? Oh, nothing much. Just the two dollars I'm going to extract from Russ, Russ's hide to pay for my broken side window. The young man does not have two dollars, but I'm sure we can work something out that will satisfy you. He did not mean to damage your truck, after all. They were only playing anti-I-over. Anti-I-over. You must have played it. Alley-alley-over. Ollie-ollie-over. Anti-over-shanty. I know what it is. I just don't know how it's going to fix my truck. And I'm very sorry about that, sir. However, you will not need to take anything out of Russell's hide. I do not allow corporal punishment in my school. Your school? You mean they let a little girl like you run a school all by yourself? Well, that explains why grown men like these are running amok in the schoolyard these days instead of helping out with the harvest like every useful man in this country. These boys must be sweet on you. Let's Linton to the children. Lunchtime is over, children. Go inside. The children head off. 
Come on, everyone. It's almost time for music class. Vern, don't wipe your nose on your sleeve when I know very well you've got a hanky in your pocket. They're gone. Mr. I'm sorry, I've not had the pleasure of an introduction. Clinton Cochran. And now I have still not had the pleasure of an introduction. Whoever you are, you have no call to speak to me in front of the children like that. It is widely considered that I am one of the best teachers in the history of Jericho School, and no hayseed bully in his rusty jalopy has the right to come in here and sneer at that, not for five dozen side windows. Hayseed bully. He takes a step or two towards Miss Linton when Ewart appears, replacing his book in his pocket and stabbing out a cigarette. Wouldn't go no further if I was you. To Miss Linton? Sorry, Miss. Went down to the creek to smoke my cigarette. Out of respect. Well, I appreciate your delicacy, Ewart, but we are going to have a little talk about the effects of tobacco on hygiene. Now run along inside and get ready for your music lesson. Ewart hesitates. Run along. He leaves. Clinton looks after him in awe. You mean to tell me that is your pupil? Ewart is not a that. He's a bright and sensitive boy. Well, whatever you call him, you seem to manage him pretty well. And no strap? Shakes his head. There's more to you than meets the eye. Not that there's anything wrong with what meets the eye, but you are a firecracker. Course, the Hoopers that you're boarding with, they're my second cousins, and the Hooper boys say you're too stuck up to date any of the local fellows. Shame about that. The Hooper boys? If you were driving down the road, how did Russell manage to break you? Mr. Cochran? Were you by any chance parked outside the school at the time you got hit? Were you, in fact, stopping by just to have a look at the new teacher? Oh, you're the new Miss Linton. With the turnaround on this school, you're a grizzled veteran. Good afternoon. He goes out. Miss Linton, after a moment. Fine, then. That's fine. You can fix your own blessed truck. Scene 9, Jericho School, October 1938. A piano plays a wicked jazz lick, seagoing into the introduction to the maple leaf forever. And a choir of children joins in. Miss Linton listens for a moment. Ah, Boyd LeBeau. Best music teacher in Cork, Catlow, or any county at all. Best jazz musician west of Montreal, they say. Best drinker, too, unfortunately. Though, of course, not in front of the children. They loved him, naturally. He always said, Melita, with music, you can get the little ones to do almost anything for you. Of course, it didn't hurt that he could also pull out his medals and his shell casings and get them all saucer-eyed with tales of Vimy Ridge. Boyd does a little ragtime riff. Oh, Boyd. To the audience. I loved that old piano. Of course, you couldn't teach a classroom full of kids how to play the one piano, so Boyd made them all get Adobe mouth organs. 25 cents ago. They sure made a splash at the school fair. Scene 10, Baker's Creek Fairgrounds, October 1938. To the boom, boom, boom of a drum, the whole student body of Jericho School in drill formation comes marching into sight. They are all adorned with a sash in the school colors. Beryl looks proud as punch as she holds the school flag. Russell courts deafness with a big bass drum. All the others are playing a verse of the school song on their mouth organs. As they reach the center, Miss Linton blows a whistle and they begin to march on the spot, singing the school yell. 
Well, oh. we don't, don't have sound. And all the we, we are, are the best, best. Let, let us, us to the, the test. test. Always number one. one. What, what, what fun. fun. Very good, class. Attention, students. The Catlow County Parade of Schools will begin by the bleachers at 11 o'clock. That's 15 minutes to the parade. All right, that gives us time to go look at the entries for the garden competition. But you almost be back here ready to go when that big clock shows 11. Is that understood? Yes. Good. Colonel Burnett does not brook lateness, and neither do I. Looking off. Well, speak of the devil. Class, attention! Enter Colonel Burnett, a small man in a large helmet, sporting full military dress, with an impressive display of medals on his chest. Class, what do we say to the inspector of schools? Good morning, Colonel Burnett. Troops! Hands out! Front! Oh, Colonel, I had just told the children they could go look at the... Hands out! Front! Can't see your company's hair and fingernails from the reviewing stand, now can I? Not going to give the prize to a troop that marches well, but can't collect weapons, am I? Well, children, let's just take a minute then. Colonel Burnett, inspecting the proffered fingernails. Good, good, mm -hmm. good, good. He comes to Ewart. Good Lord, what in the Sam Hill is this? This is Ewart. He is one of my best students. I should say so, at his age. Young man, why are you not in uniform? There isn't a war on, sir. Well, we'll just see about that. He's 14, Colonel. Good gravy boats. Fourteen. I always said the most impressive soldiers are farm boys. Begging your pardon, Colonel. Ewart is not really, uh... Oh, yes. This is your training schoolboy, isn't it? Sent down from farm work after you'd served your time in the brig. Were you, boy? So what did you do anyway? Ewart doesn't answer. Hmm. No matter. No matter. There's nothing like the discipline of the plow to straighten out that, those youthful high spirits. I'm sure the South Farm will make a man out of you. And if not, there's always the army, eh, boy? The army? The army's the last thing. Colonel, I was wondering if you had a moment because I've been reading that book on school management you left me at last year's inspection, and there's a passage on which I could use your elucidation. Elucidation, Miss Linton. I'd be delighted. To the children. Company, fall out! They disappear gratefully to the four winds. Now, let me just see if... I'm almost sure I brought it with me, just in case. She fumbles for it in her satchel as Clinton Cochran appears. This time, he is dressed in a suit with neat hair and a clipboard. Ah, Clinton, my lad. How goes it with the field crops of battle? Tom, hello. Fine, thanks. It's actually kind of embarrassing the way people treat me like a war hero just because I went and went away and got a piece of paper. And I don't see how it makes me qualified to judge some school kids' pumpkins. Seeing Miss Linton. Oh, hello. 
Come on, lad. It's not every day a baker's brick board gets his engineer's degree. They're proud of you. Hello. D say, you two already know each other? My, you college boys move fast. I thought you were a farmer, Mr. Cochran. Never said I was, Miss Linton. Fine farming family, the Cochrans. Uh, Clinton, the first one to be a suit and tie man, aren't you, lad? If you gentlemen will excuse me, I should go and keep an eye on my children. I can give you a hand if you'd like. Oh, no, Mr. Cochran. I'd never ask you to do my job for me. You see, even a little girl like me can sometimes run a school all by herself. Especially when she's a grizzled veteran. Good day. She moves off. My lad, I didn't understand a word of that, but I would say that you have just been sassed. Yes, uncle, I have. They leave. Attention students, the public speaking contest will begin at three o'clock in the big tent. That's five minutes to the public speaking contest. For those of us who taught in little country schools, the best thing about the school fair was the chance to see our fellow teachers. And after a long, hot afternoon, no one could liven up your day like my normal school chum, Evie Bothwell. Hide me! Evie, there are people everywhere! That's the point of saying hide me! I can't believe Miss. you picked up that filthy habit. What a poor example for the children. Knock it off, Lita. I was your roommate, see? You may come over all holy in the daylight, but you fart in your sleep like the rest of us. You're gonna smell like smoke. Then stay upwind. She it's smokes. Either, it's either this or my flask. It'll soon be time to gather up the little bastards, and I'm not doing that without a wee pick-me-up. You don't sound very grateful to have a job at a time like this. Oh, save it, sister. I work like a mutt for these ungrateful kids, and I make less than spit for it. I go months without seeing the inside of a picture show. I don't see anyone except snot-nosed brats, scowling parents, prying landlords, and the whole gang of them smells like cow. Honestly, doesn't it ever make you wanna kick over the traces a little? That's the difference between you and me, Evie. I don't notice the traces. Evie smokes in silence for a moment. So, I heard you just got stuck with a training school boy. Hard luck. What do you do anyway? Knife his mother? Or maybe he was a rum runner? I don't know. You don't know? How can you not know? Oh, come on, Evie. He didn't murder his mother. You know very well they only put the good ones on the farms, the ones that deserve a chance, because... Well, because some people, unlike you, think that country life builds character. Anyway, I don't want to look at him every day and see... whatever he did. I just want to see a boy and teach him. And he's a little young to have been a rum runner. Okay, live in ignorance then. But you do think about it all the same. I know you. Oh, well, you just watch out for him anyways. They've got an anger in them, those kids. And if they didn't have it when they went to training school, they sure have it after. You know what everyone says about those places, don't you? Don't drop your soap in the showers. Miss <laughs> Linton looks bewildered. Why ever not? Oh, Lita, you really are a country girl. Look at that, four o'clock. Time to round up the little buggers. Those stupid green sashes should help. See you, Melita. See you, Evie. And she is gone.
Attention students, it is now four o'clock. Please retrieve your exhibits and meet your teachers for your ride home. Would Beryl Bapti and Lauren Holson please report to the big tent? Meanwhile, the children troop in carrying their various exhibits. Dwight has a dairy calf and a hand handmade milk stool. Russell has a barley sheaf and mangles. They have various ribbons between them. Russell is counting his prize money. 42, 45, 50. Hey teacher, I won 50 cents for my barley sheaf and mangles. Good for you, Russell. Hey Russell, give you two cents if my calf can eat your mangles. That's 52 cents. Holy jumping. I wish I'd gotten into this racket sooner. I would have had a BB gun by now. They gather around Miss Linton and begin to show her their winnings. Meanwhile, on the opposite side of the stage, Milton comes in purposefully with a tall, lovely flowering plant, a beautiful new book tied in a ribbon, and Flossie and Effa buzzing around him. Oh, come on, Milton. Please, Milton. No, I am not going to share my prize book with you. And do you know why? When teacher gave out the flower seeds for the school fair, you two picked zinnias and asters, just like everyone else. Asters and zinnias, zinnias and asters. I was the only one who picked salpiglossus. And you all made fun. All I ever heard was salpiglossus, salpiglossus, Milton with his salpiglossus. Hey, Milton got his tonsils out. He has salpiglossus. Well, comes to the school fair and guess what? Your zinnias and asters are up against upteen dozen from all around this township. And they're all better than yours because you never did fertilize the roots, did you? Look at Brown Nose, we got better things to- And meanwhile, I have the nicest salpiglossus in Catlow County. And I have a brand new Gene Stratton Porter book. And you have goose eggs and raspberries. And he blows one at them. Oh, Milton, your mother's got all kinds of books. We never get nothing new to read. I read every book in that darn bookcase twice already. And the Gene Stratton Porter is my favorite. Pretty please with the sugar on top, Milton. Miss Linton says you're supposed to share. Oh, yeah? What about when I had the mumps and I begged someone to water my pig losses and nobody would? Well, remember what the little red hen said? You would not help me sow the grain. You would not help me water the grain. And you would not help me reap the grain. So I will eat it myself. Now leave me alone. Flossie, Effa, Milton, come and gather round. Mr. Yellow Leaves is going to be coming any minute and we don't want to keep him waiting. Ewart comes in empty handed. Ewart, where's your drawing? Oh, I didn't bother about that, miss. Well, go and get it. Hurry, our ride will be here. All right, miss. I'm not much of a drawer. I only did it because I didn't have any time to grow nothing or build nothing. I didn't win a prize anyway. The point is, Ewart, he did your best. That's what this fair is about, class. It's not about the winning and the losing. It's about the... Holy Queen of Sheba. And Beryl comes in. She's a sight to behold. Arms full of ribbons, trundling a little wagon full of her entries in every conceivable class. She's carrying a book, tied up in a ribbon like Milton's, and a large silver cup. Vern is helping her. Sorry I'm late. The children crowd around to inspect her hall. 
I wish they didn't have classes that are just for boys. It's no fair. I could make a better milking stool than Dwight. Why? Because you're such a cow. Blasi goes for Russell. Miss Linton intervenes. Class! I am certain we are all proud of Beryl's accomplishments. A farm truck is heard honking. There's Dad! Dad! Off we go, children. They're already heading out toward the truck, Ewart lagging behind. Ewart, I want to put your drawing up at the front of the class this month. I think it's beautiful. So run along and get it. Ewart, go. His face brightening. Yes, miss. Miss Linton follows the children toward the truck and Ewart runs back to the fair. tuning into this episode of the UTSC Drama Society Summer Reading Series. Thank you again to all of our fantastic readers, and don't forget to check out our Instagram to vote on which show you'd like to see us produce for the beginning of the season. Catch you next time!